0: We'll be looking at the entirety of Psalm 23, six verses. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake He blessed it in our hearing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, we come to your word today, uh, recognizing that we need, in many ways, its words of comfort. This life can be very difficult. We face much trial and hardship and sorrow as we are in this mortal life and as we walk through this world. I pray that by your word today you would assure us, give us the confidence that you are our shepherd, that our good shepherd has laid down his life for us, and because of this we have the hope of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the distinctive doctrines of Reformed theology is our doctrine of providence. In our doctrine of providence, we confess that God rules over all things comprehensively. That he decrees, as the Westminster says, whatsoever comes to pass. Now this includes even things that are sad, things that are painful, things that are difficult, things that to us seem wrong. And many struggle with this. How can God be good and yet have an all-encompassing plan and decree that includes evil? Put more simply, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? This is what is often known as the problem of evil. Theologians and philosophers and the like have wrestled with this problem for all of human history. It's not like it's something we're going to simply solve here today. Now, there are a lot of uh, problematic and wrong answers to the problem of evil. I see, for instance, on the Internet sometimes uh, posts from Internet atheists on how if God is sovereign over all things, well, because Christ suffered and died, then God is guilty of divine child abuse that he let his son suffer in this way. It's a very popular saying. I've heard it many times, but it is very wrong. It misunderstands many doctrines and teachings of our faith. For one, it misunderstands the Trinity, how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not in opposition to one another. They're united in will and they're united in purpose. It's a misunderstanding of Christology and the Son's own role and willingness to offer Himself. But these are the kinds of objections and questions of the faith that are often raised. But this problem of evil is not merely an abstract or philosophical problem. It can often take on very personal forms. If God is sovereign over all things, why am I suffering? Why is evil being done to me? Why am I sick? Why am I dying? Why are bad things happening to the people I love and care about? Surely if there was a good God, he would stop this, right? Now, I'm not going to pretend that these are easy questions or that we find easy answers. In fact, a lot of these issues regarding God's providence in the face of evil, they fall in the realm of mystery. We don't quite know. We can't fully understand why these things happen why God has purposed them, and how this all works out. We do know that God is not evil. He cannot do evil. He is not the author of sin. But beyond that, there's, there's very little we understand, often less than we want to understand. And it can be very confusing and frustrating. But for all this potential confusion and frustration that this doctrine of providence can bring, what I would like to propose to us today is that God's providence is actually a source of great comfort in the most difficult times and seasons of life. So I want us to look today at a psalm of great comfort, Psalm 23. It is one of the better known, if not the best known, of the psalms because of the comfort that it provides. For instance, if you... Go to the nursing home and winter, the assisted living facilities, we have these large print songbooks, books. And um, as far as I know, this is the only psalm that is in that book is sort of, you know, the standard hymns that that anybody and everybody are going to want to sing. The old uh, setting of Psalm 23 from the 1650 Scottish Psalter, because this is one of the great texts of comfort. It has it's been used by God's people in this way for as long as it has existed. I probably memorized this psalm when I was like nine years old. I I think I was at a church summer camp and uh, memorized the 23rd psalm. And it has always stuck with me. It often comes back to me. So just as a challenge to the children who are here today, memorize your Bible. You can do it. It seems hard. uh, But it's much easier now than it will be when you're older. And then you will find that when you're older, These texts stick with you. They will help you. They will bring you comfort in times of trial. So this psalm is a psalm of David. Now, this is important. David has some certain insight and knowledge into the things about which he writes. We'll get to that here shortly. But most of all, we see in this text a comfort that is grounded in God's providence and in God's sovereignty, God's rule over all things. So I want to look at this comfort in this psalm today in three points. First, we will look at the Lord's shepherding in verses 1 through 3. Second, the Lord's solace in verse 4. And third and finally, we will see the Lord's steadfastness in verses 5 and 6. So we have the Lord's shepherding, solace, and steadfastness. So first we will look at the Lord's shepherding in verses 1 through 3. So we see here at the outset the statement, the Lord, God, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Now this metaphor to describe God as a shepherd, it's a common one in Scripture. For instance, it is the one that Jesus takes up in John chapter 10, describing himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and who knows his sheep and they know him. Now, to understand what it means that the Lord is our shepherd, it helps to understand about shepherding, which helps then to know a little about sheep. Sheep, as animals know, they're not particularly known for their intelligence or their resourcefulness or their strength. They're rather small, weak animals. They really can't do a whole lot on their own. That is why shepherds exist. Their job is to protect and care for the sheep. Now, it's not merely a job. It's a lifestyle. In places where shepherding is practiced, it's common to have the shepherds actually live with the sheep. They'd be there. They'd be around them 24-7 all the time. That's because if the shepherd leaves, the sheep are going to be in trouble. They'll wander off. They'll get attacked. They'll get eaten. As sheep are meek and weak animals, the shepherd has to be gentle with the sheep in dealing with them. He has to lead them and care for them in such a way as to avoid hurting them. But that doesn't mean that the shepherd himself can be meek or weak. Shepherds themselves have to be strong. They have to be tough. They usually have to be armed to fend off predators who might want to harm the sheep. I mentioned already that it was David who wrote this psalm. Now, why does that matter? Well, before David was anointed as king, as the youngest son of his father, Jesse, he worked as a shepherd. He was out in the fields keeping his father's flocks. That's where he was when Samuel came to anoint him as king. He wasn't even there because they just figured, ah, it can't be David. So we'll let him keep the sheep and the rest of us will show up. They had to call him in. So David was not prepared for the things he went through his career as a military hero or as the king of Israel. He wasn't prepared by living a life of luxury or by going off to school and getting the best education or any of the things that normally people do to prepare for that kind of life. He was prepared by being out in the fields with the sheep. But it did prepare him. When David prepared to fight Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, he recounted his own prior life as a shepherd. He described how he had to fight off lions and bears and other animals that threatened the sheep and how those skills prepared him to fight Goliath. Shepherds are gentle to the sheep, but they are stern. They are vicious to predators, to enemies. And this protection can be a fierce protection. David is not writing about this as someone ignorant. He was a shepherd. He knew what was on the line for a shepherd tending his sheep. He recognized that as he was a shepherd to his father's sheep back in the day, God was a shepherd to him who cared for him. Now there is a comprehensiveness to this care that this shepherd provides. We see some of the particular aspects of this care in the opening of Psalm 23. I shall not want. Now, when we think about want, we tend to think about it in terms of desire, like I want ice cream. I do want ice cream, but that's not what we're talking about here. This word for want talks about having what we need. It talks about um, to lack, to say that we want is to say that I don't have everything that I need. But what this first verse is then is it's a declaration of confidence that God will provide what we need for body and soul. That doesn't mean that we always get everything we need right away. It doesn't mean that we don't go through times and seasons of want and of need. No, there's a lot of a mixed bag of these things in this life. You know, I love the Westminster Standards. I am... Lord willing, going to be ordained in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church this Wednesday. But I think there's something particularly profound in how the Heidelberg Catechism speaks about divine providence. It says, Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures. And so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink health and sickness, prosperity and poverty. All things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So we see here a long list of good things, but also difficult things. We see that there's rain, which you need for your crops to grow, but there's also drought. There's fruitful years, there's lean years. There's health, but there's sickness, there is prosperity, but there is also poverty. So there will be times where we do have want, we do have lack, we have times of need. But what this psalm affirms for us is that we have all that we or that all that we have and all that we need is in and from the Father's hand. If we face shortage and need, our God is not unknowing or incapable, or indifferent. Whatever we're going through serves His greater purposes. It's in His hand, and He works these things together for our good and for His glory. We see more details of God's provision for us. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. There is a pastor, his name is Philip Keller. He was formerly a shepherd, and he wrote a book about Psalm 23 from that perspective. And he described in it four conditions that must be met for sheep to be able to lie down. So first, they must not be afraid. They cannot have fear or they won't lie down. Second, they need space. They can't be rubbing up against other sheep or other objects. They can't have friction. So fear and friction, he uses alliteration, a man after my own heart. (laughs) Third, they can't be bothered by bugs or flies. And finally, they they will not lie down if they are hungry. They need to have food. So fear, friction, flies, food. These are the things that a shepherd has to think about to get his sheep to lie down and rest. The shepherd has to create the conditions necessary so that his sheep are able to rest. Now, there may be times in this life where we are not very able to rest. We are beset by the trials and difficulty of this life. But Christ, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, promises that those who come to Him, though they come weary and heavy laden, they will find in Him rest. Our Savior wants to give us rest. Abiding rest. Ultimate rest. We read that our shepherd leads us beside still waters. So not only do we need food and a place to live, we need drink. We need water. Our God understands even this basic need. But water is not always a source of life. Water can also be chaotic and dangerous. I once watched on television a daredevil walk on a tightrope over Niagara Falls. It was a suspenseful event, and I probably don't have to explain too much for you to understand why. There's noise and chaos from the falls. There's mist everywhere. Made the tightrope slippery. If he had fallen off, he didn't, he made it. But if he had fallen off, there's a decent chance that he would die. The waters that give life can also bring death and chaos. Think of what happens to boats on the sea when big storms come up. It can be waves hundreds of feet high. They can even topple the largest ships. But our shepherd does not lead us to waters of chaos and destruction. He leads us to waters still, waters of peace. Our shepherd restores our souls. While we have material and physical needs, our spiritual needs are ultimate. They're more important. Would you believe me if I told you that you need spiritual nourishment, you need spiritual food and drink more than you need physical provision? See, the want of physical food and drink can end this mortal life, but the lack of spiritual provision can kill the soul. We need God to feed and nourish our souls. Most of all, we need Jesus Christ who is our true food and our true drink. And he nourishes our souls to eternal life. And we receive our continual and ongoing refreshment and nourishment. And what we're doing here now, we receive it in worship. We hear the word. We hear the gospel, which brings new life. We partake of the sacraments. As I mentioned, Lord willing, we'll be taking the supper here in a couple of weeks. We pray. These are the means of grace, the means by which God feeds and waters us spiritually. He refreshes us. And it is also in this word we receive that he leads us in paths of righteousness. The spirit works the word in our hearts and it, <clears throat> he makes it effective in our lives. We put it into practice and application. So God's care of us is not only confined to the physical life, it is all-encompassing. It is care of body and soul, because we are body and soul. And so God's providence is seen in his care for us, and in his provision of what we need for body and soul. But after our first point, the Lord's shepherding, we now turn to our second point, the Lord's solace, in verse 4. As I mentioned already, we know that sometimes physical needs are not met. And suffering and death do come. Evil does come. But we are told in verse 4 that we do not have to fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Sometimes our shepherd leads us to and through dark places. Places where we can't see where we're going. Places where we do not know the way. Where we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's ahead. And we don't know what's going to happen to us. But we are no less in our shepherd's care and control in those times and those places than when we are in the green pastures beside the still waters. Though we cannot see him, And though we may not feel his presence, he is there, continuing to lead and guide. Because of the presence of our shepherd, we do not have to fear evil. This is a great word of comfort. We are surrounded in this world by evil. We live in a world of moral chaos. We live where there are new perversions and evils and problems arising all the time, and sometimes it feels like they are winning, that maybe no one cares about doing what is right. We can feel overwhelmed, and we can start to despair. Maybe we see it in our work. I worked for a time for the state governments, and there's a lot of people that work in government for the wrong reasons, and they want to do things that aren't good. They want to implement policies and take actions that aren't for the good of the people, but are good for themselves. And often when I was working in that environment, I would see these things and it could be a great source of discouragement. So we can deal with these sorts of things and start to feel overwhelmed this way in our lives. But it can also be that the valley of the shadow of death can be much more literal. Maybe death is around. Maybe you're facing trials of body and soul. You're facing illness. You're facing injury. Maybe someone you know and love is facing that. Maybe you are up against death in a very real and present way. Your good shepherd is with you even there. Even these trials are within his control. He promises to work them again for your good and for his glory. Now, I am not a prosperity teacher. You'd have to throw me out of here if I was. So I can't tell you that if you have enough faith or give enough money or do anything else, that everything's just going to work out in this life. What I can tell you is that ultimate and eternal deliverance comes without fail to those that love and trust in the Lord. And in verse four, we see a promise of protection. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why does a shepherd carry a staff? Well, David, being a former shepherd, he would know. A part of having a staff for a shepherd is to help him walk. You know, you're out on some rough terrain and some hills and rocks. It's a walking stick, basically. But another part of it, and this is why you see the hook on the end, at least in the old pictures of them, is to guide the sheep in the way they should go. It's a hook so you can push them or pull them or whatever to get them where they need to be. But a shepherd's staff is also a weapon. A shepherd can use his staff to break the teeth of wolves. See, there are many wolves around and they're seeking to come in and devour God's people. But the shepherd knows that they are there and he's ready to deal with them. Though evil and sorrow and death prevail for a time, the shepherd is in control and he will deliver his people. And this offers us great comfort. Comfort that tells us again to once again quote from the Heidelberg that we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature will separate us from his love. Now this includes the creatures that seem powerful, that seem above us and beyond us, and that seek to do us harm. Even the ones that can take what is most dear to us, even the ones that can take our very lives. This calls to mind the great text of comfort in Romans 8, verses 37-39. through Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of it, not a single thing, not a single creature, a single person, nothing can separate you from His love. Whatever you're looking at, whatever you're dealing with, if you are in Christ, it cannot and will not separate you from the Father's love. And that is the greatest comfort. Not only are we never without our good shepherd who guides us and leads us and protects us, if we are in Christ, we can never be separated from this shepherd by anything in this world or the world to come. This is certain eternal hope and comfort. But having looked at the Lord's shepherding and the Lord's solace, we come to our third and final point, the Lord's steadfastness. We see in verse 5 a shift from this shepherding imagery to a different image. One of feasting, one of festivity. We read, "...you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies." See, though we face all these difficulties and adversities in this life, enemies within and without, tragedy, suffering, even death, God sets the banquet table. He readies a feast for us. So though we will face trials, we can rejoice in the Lord and taste of His blessings. God is powerful over our enemies. He is not deterred or stopped or silenced by them. He can provide for us in abundance and bless us and even give us cause to rejoice and celebrate in the presence of our enemies in the darkest places and seasons and times in this mortal life. We also read here, You anoint my head with oil. Now oil... In that time where David was writing, it would have been used for special occasions, special seasons, festivals. It was used for anointing, and it represented rejoicing. It represented an outpouring of abundance. For instance, we see in Psalm 133, another discussion of oil there. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. So oil is representative of blessings, of good things, of things to be rejoiced in. And so even in the presence of enemies, we can rejoice. Because we will receive all the benefits and blessings that Christ our shepherd provides for us. We read also that my cup overflows, so we have this feast We have food and we have oil and we have more drink than we even need or can use. We're not just cared for in the presence of our enemies, but we are abundantly blessed. Now, when we think again of David, we remember that he had a lot of enemies. When he was a shepherd, he fought lions and bears. As a relatively young man, he fought Goliath, the giant. He had a conflict with King Saul and his supporters. He fought the armies of the Philistines and other enemies. He faced resistance within his own family and rebellion from one of his own sons. Of course, David had perhaps his greatest enemy in his own flesh and his own sin as he had to deal with the consequences of those. David had a lot of enemies. And yet David was confident That God provided him with all he needed for abundance and feasting, even in the face of his enemies, in the face of the difficulties they brought. That is the kind of confidence that this psalm invites us to express. We have this confidence because God is sovereign over all things, even our enemies. Our enemies can't lay a finger on us without God permitting it. So if we are going to feast and rejoice in their presence, it is because we know that God is in control even of what they do. We know that God exercises that same control, that same sovereignty over us. Not only are we kept safe and blessed even in the face of enemies, but we have a hope that is enduring and eternal. Look with me at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So as long as we're here, as long as we're in our days on this earth, however many they may be, God's goodness and mercy do not depart from his people. Like a shepherd who never leaves his sheep, he is always there to comfort us, to strengthen us, to provide for us, to love us, and to teach us, all of this without fail. But not only is this hope for this life, it is hope for the life to come. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a hope that cannot be destroyed by anything we face in this world or in this life. Even if our enemies prevail in this life, even if we... Don't emerge from the valley of the shadow of death in our time in this life. Our lives are safe. Our lives are protected. Our lives are eternal and guaranteed by our God. How do we know this? I mentioned before this image of a shepherd came back in the New Testament in John chapter 10, where Jesus says that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. See, we we're all sinful. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve death and condemnation. But the good shepherd, being the very son of God, became a man, lived the perfect life we could not, and died the death that we deserved. So our life can be guaranteed and safe and protected because he laid his life down. Our shepherd was no hireling who ran away at the first sign of trouble. Our shepherd went all the way to suffering the cursed death of the cross for his sheep. But then on the third day, his life that he laid down, he took it up again. He was raised from the dead, giving us a sure promise and pledge of our resurrection. For those who repent of their sins, and trust in Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And there is the comfort and confidence of having a good shepherd who cares for his sheep in all things. For those of you today who do belong to Christ but are beset by the trials of this life, know that your shepherd is with you. Know that he will not and cannot fail you. He walks with you wherever you go. In fact, our God orchestrates all that has come to pass and all that will come to pass and promises to turn it all for your good and His glory. This is great consolation and comfort in whatever difficulties life brings. We do not have to be afraid because our God is with us and cares for us and gives us not only what we need, but more. So, may we all trust in him and have this confidence in him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words of comfort. We thank you for our good shepherd, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who rules over us by his word and spirit, who guides us, protects us, and comforts us, and most of all, who laid down his life for his sheep. Pray that all here gathered would believe this gospel, have confidence in this gospel, and hope in this gospel in this life, knowing that we have the life to come and that it is guaranteed and assured by our good shepherd. And I pray that this confidence would inspire us to Live lives of faith and of hope and of love, even in a lost and dying world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamelopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.